Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm wondering if anyone recognises any of these characters behind me. Can anyone tell me where that is from? Avengers, yes. Go a bit broader than Avengers. Engage. That's too far, Michael, too far. That is, these are the Marvel characters. I've gone as broad as I can. So these are characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, there are probably about 30-odd, I think, Marvel films now. Um, The characters in these films, they sort of weave in and out of each other's stories a little bit. And in all the films, some are kind of threads where they all get together. Some are kind of slightly more niche spin-offs. Now, I love the Marvel films. Um, I wouldn't call myself a super fan. I'm not at the level of some of the people in this congregation. Um, But I've seen almost all of them. I really enjoy them. I think they are really good films. Um, Kiri, uh, my wife, on the other hand, uh, has only seen one of these films, and she fell asleep halfway through. There is a clear split in the room on where we sit on the Marvel films, and I imagine we have a spectrum. I imagine we have a spectrum. Now, I'm not going to name any names, but some people in this room who would be super fans, who would know every single detail of every single film. There will be some of you who might have seen one or two of the films, and you're like, yeah, they're all right, they're pretty good. Uh, There will be some of you in here who have never seen a Marvel film and have got no idea what I am talking about. But the good thing about Marvel films, the thing that I I think is great about them, is you can pick most of the films and you can just watch them. Yeah, you don't need any knowledge of the other films. You can probably follow the story. You can probably enjoy it. Um, Let's take Iron Man. Iron Man is my favourite of all of the Avengers. Uh, You could take Iron Man and you could watch it and you could come away and be like, yeah, I've enjoyed that. I've watched that film. I know Iron Man. It's good. But, and I've brought up some of the other Marvel films here, if you then watch some of the other Marvel films and you kind of work out who's who and you kind of work out what's coming later and then you go back and you re-watch those Iron Man films, all of a sudden you'll start seeing little links. You'll see the links to the, the Super Soldier Project. You'll see the hints of the Avengers starting to come up. You'll see the links to Captain America, the Ten Rings, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of a sudden... You can go back and you can watch Iron Man, and it means so much more. You can enjoy it so much more, and you will understand so much more about what is going on in the film, because you've got some context. Um, That's why I love the Marvel films, because there is layers. On a superficial level, you could just enjoy the film. It's a good film. But then something else crops up in another film, and you go back and you re-watch it, and you understand on a deeper level. Um, Now, as a church leader, this is not something I ever expected myself to say from the front, but I kind of think reading the Bible, in some ways, is very similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, And indeed, reading a specific book of the Bible is like watching an individual Marvel film. There will be some of you who are very, very familiar and have read an awful lot, some little bits, some not so much at all. And if you take a specific part of the Bible, it can make good sense on its own. It can teach us some really good lessons. It can be really helpful. But as we build up our knowledge of the whole, as we start to understand the context, we can understand that little bit on a deeper level. 
it becomes more profound and more impactful. And as a church, that is what we're going to be doing over the coming months. Um, We are going to be doing a series on the book of Matthew. Um, Now, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, hopefully it will appear behind me. Um, Just jump on a slide for us, Sam. Oh, maybe one more slide. I didn't realise I'd put that in. Um, If you aren't familiar with the Bible, um, that is okay. It's absolutely fine. The Bible is a collection of books. So it's not just one book. It is a collection of 66 books. Um, And Matthew is the first book of what we call the New Testament. So the Bible is split up into what we call the Old Testament, um, which essentially looks at um, the time from creation, the story of humanity, right up to Jesus. And then we've got the New Testament, which is sort of focusing on the life of Jesus, and then the journey of the early church. And Matthew is one of the Gospels. So the Gospels are four books about Jesus's life. And Gospel, literally, when you translate it, means good news or good telling. Um, And in part, and the reason I think this is so powerful, is in part what we're going to see in Matthew is we meet the character of Jesus and we find as a group of people the best way to live. That's what Jesus's teachings are there to do. They are there to teach us the best way we can thrive as humans. Um, And spoiler to the story, that is in him, not about ourselves. And we kind of, we live in a culture at the minute that's all about the Instagram captions of, you know, um, live your best life. As followers of Jesus, we believe there is a right way to do that. There is a right way to live your best life. It's not just about what we want or about our truth. It's about following the teachings of Jesus. And it's the blueprint to what the Bible calls life in all its fullness. And so over the next few months and beyond, we're going to be looking at this book. We're going to be looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings to help us find out more about who Jesus is, why he came, and what the best way for us to live is. But I think we're going to hit two challenges um, in doing this. And the first one I am going to call the Marvel Cinematic Universe problem, which I don't think is a theological term, but that is fine. Um, Does anyone know, this isn't a trick question, does anyone know who Matthew, the author of Matthew, was? A guy called Matthew. Well, we could go with that. Any expansion on that? A tax collector. Any expansion on that? One of the twelve, yes. So we're assuming that this is the same Matthew, um, who was one of the twelve apostles. You might have heard him called Matthew the tax collector. He was also known as Levi. Now, a few things we need to know about this Matthew. Number one, he was Greek. Um, He wasn't English, unfortunately. Um, He was educated, so he was educated by Rome, probably, as a tax collector. And he was also a Jew. Um, most scholars, so that's people who study the Bible, um, would say that the content of this book likely came from that same Matthew, one of the 12 apostles, um, and it was passed down through an oral tradition before it was eventually put onto paper, as it is now, by what's probably an anonymous author about 50 or 70 years after Jesus died. Um, And the person who wrote it down for Matthew um, very similarly came from a background where they spoke very good Greek. We can tell that from the way they write. But we can also tell that this was another Jewish man who knew an awful lot about Jewish law and the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, why am I bothering to tell you this? Um, Well, for now, what we need to know is when the book of Matthew was written, 
It was not written for CCM Reddish in 2024, unfortunately. That would make life too easy. It was written for a community of Greek-speaking, not English-speaking, Jewish Christians. Now, that will have meant most of them, if they grow up in the Jewish education system, will have memorised most of, if not all of, the Old Testament by the time they were teenagers, which makes our teenagers look very disappointing. Um, it was written for a Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. That is not us. And so what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to try and bridge a bit of a gap between Matthew's world and our world. Geography, language, culture. What we need to try and do is step a little bit into Matthew's mind and think what will this have meant to a first century, likely Jewish follower of Jesus at the time, and then strip it back to, okay, so what does this mean in the 21st century for us sitting in Reddish? Does that make a bit of sense? Yes. So I'm going to be kicking us off this morning with what is often seen as the least exciting bit of Matthew, which is the very start. So I'm just going to bring up verse 1. So this is the opening line of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I won't make you put your hands up, but how many of you read that line and you start getting into the genealogy and you're like, oh my word, that's boring. You can do it by way of nodding. You don't have to put your hand up. By way of nodding, who gets to that line and you're like, it's a bit of a dull way to start a story, isn't it? I skip on to the next page. You skip on to the next page. It's very honest. I like that answer. Um, And I think the reason for that is because it doesn't mean much to us. Um, If we take that concept and we flip back to what would this have meant to a first century Jewish follower of Jesus. Well, the Greek here, if we take the word book, the Greek is biblios, you know that word, uh, we use it as the Bible. Um, and the next word for genealogy is actually geneseos, which you will also think is pretty familiar because we know the word genesis. Um, now, it's not translated this way in English because it just doesn't make sense in English. But if you take the literal Greek, it is basically saying the book of the new genesis. So right from the opening line, if you are a Jew around the time of Jesus and you're sitting in church and someone gets up to the front, kind of like this, and they start speaking this line and start reading this out in Greek, all the red lights are going off in your head. All the warning lights are flashing. You're like, hold on a minute, the new Genesis. And you maybe you turn around and you lean over to your mate and you're like, is this guy claiming he's re telling this story. Is this a a story of recreation of the world? This sounds pretty big. This isn't just like a nice story about a nice guy who had some nice things to say. This is a story that's going to turn the world upside down. Um, And then we've got three titles that follow. So we've got Christ, Son of David, and Son of Abraham, if you flip the slide on for us, Sam. So Christ, um, contrary to popular opinion, is not Jesus' last name. Uh, People didn't go around saying, hello, Mr. Christ, how are you doing? Um, Christ, and we're going to look at three different languages here. Look how uh, impressive we are this morning. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which in English we translate as saviour. So when Jews would read that open line, hold on a minute, this is the book of the New Genesis. This is a story about the recreation of the whole world and it is about the saviour we have been waiting for. 
So again, it's a little bit lost on us because we haven't spent our whole lives waiting for someone to come and save us because we've all known Jesus um, from whenever we first picked up our Bibles. But the Old Testament, which is all the Jews would have had at the time, the Old Testament is a story in search of an ending. Um, The whole thing is pointing to this saviour figure who is going to be coming But the Old Testament doesn't really have a nice conclusion. It just kind of hits this kind of cliffhanger where it's like, oh, it's just left hanging. And Jews who are reading this will have spent their entire lives waiting for this saviour. So when they hear the book of the new Genesis and they see the word saviour, they're like, whoa, mind blown, attention grabber. And we've then got son of David, son of Abraham, which again is a little bit lost on this because we we don't really care about our family lines anymore. But back in that ancient culture, tracing your family line, tracing your bloodline, your tribal line, that was such an important part of your identity. Such an important part of who you are. So much more important than family is to us now. So Jews reading this right out of the gate from that first line, they are on the edge of their seats. They're like, this is massive. This is absolutely huge. And we probably read over it and we skip over it because, like the Marvel films, we haven't felt how powerful that is because we don't know the context. We haven't lived our whole lives waiting for this person, desperate for this person. And Matthew kind of touches on some of this difficulty. If you come to um, Matthew 13, verse 52, we're going to flick it on. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And I just wonder if anyone knows, who is Jesus talking about that? Or a better question might be, who fits the description of what Jesus is talking about there? Anyone. Who do we know who's grown up, steeped in Jewish law, but then become a disciple? Who said Matthew? Yes, Anna. Or was it, was it, I don't know who it was, but well done. Matthew. Um, I think one person who fits this description pretty well is Matthew. Again, assuming this Matthew is the same one, um, the kind of one of the 12 disciples who was literate, he was educated because he worked as a tax collector. But this guy, he's, he's, he's in the elite And he's grown up as a Jew who will have spent all of his school life learning and memorising the Old Testament. By the time he was a teenager, he would have memorised almost all of it. And then he also becomes a follower of Jesus. This is a guy who knows the Jewish law inside out, but then has also become a disciple of Jesus. I think this is Matthew saying to you and me, like, pay attention. This stuff in my book that I've written down It is a storehouse of so much good stuff, so much treasure. I've got new treasures as well as old. I think that means that if you have been around in church, if you have been around for any sort of significant amount of time, there are going to be stories in Matthew that you know, or at least that you think you know, that you're familiar with, the old treasures. But there is also going to be stuff in Matthew that you've not seen that way before and you've not thought about that way before. And either way, whether they are old or new, they are treasures. And I think by that, what we've, um, why we've chosen to do Matthew is because as we unpick these layers, we can pull out more and more of these treasures, which is going to help us to find the best way to live and the best way to live in Jesus, not in ourselves. Um, so as I said, I 
us doing the intro to Matthew, have got what many people will see as the most boring part of the book. Um, I'm going to bring some verses up behind me that are going to feel very overwhelming because there is an awful lot on that slide. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. Um, But just to illustrate some of the layers of Matthew, we could read this as a boring list of names and some weird names of that. Uh, I think we've had quite a few parents in the congregation over the last couple of years. I don't think any of you considered calling your kid a minidab or Zerubbabel. Rosalind, I don't know if that ever crossed your mind. Um, Isaac's a bit more boring, but, you know, we'll let you off. Um, And so we could treat this as a list of names that sound a bit weird, that we struggle to pronounce, that aren't particularly relevant anymore. But let's flick back to how would you have read this if you were one of Matthew's listeners 2,000 years ago. So the first layer, let's go next slide, Sam. So I've pulled out four names there. Um, In first century Jewish culture, women would absolutely not be listed in a genealogy. Um, We see the way uh, Jesus treats and raises up women is absolutely revolutionary for his time. And we see a hint of that starting here. Um, But not only are there four women named, which is absolutely scandalous for the time, unheard of in a royal family tree, what's even weirder is let's look at who they are. Because if you're a Jew, if you're a Jew who's grown up memorising your Old Testament or your Torah, as you would have called it, there are four matriarchs of the Jewish faith. So four women that every Jew will know, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Leah, as the most important in inverted commas. They're the ones who are centre stage, the centre of the story. And so you would expect it probably should be those four. But we don't see those four. We see four women um, who maybe wouldn't be your first choice. So Tamar... um, Tamar is in this weird, kinky story in Genesis 8. It's very odd. First of all, she's not Jewish. Uh, This is a Jewish family tree, um, where she goes and she dresses up as a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law into getting her pregnant. Okay, That is not PG. It's a little bit weird. It doesn't make her look good. We've got Rahab, also not Jewish. This is a Jewish family tree. She was a sex worker. Um, We've got Ruth. She's also not Jewish, although she was pretty great. Um, And then we've got the wife wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Uh, She's the only one in the list who maybe was a Jew. We're not entirely sure. But either way, she cheated on her husband with King David. Okay. If I had made Jesus up as a king and I was trying to sell Jesus to you, this is not the group that I would put in his family tree. I'm going to be very honest about that. But if you're a Jew reading this, you look at that and you think, that is scandalous. Right from the off, Matthew is shaking things up. God's big story, he's saying, isn't just about Jewish men who've got their act together. Yeah, Jesus has come for everyone. That is men, women, and especially those who have messed up. Those who are broken, who are full of shame and guilt. Those who know that they need help. Um, There's all sorts of teachings about how Jesus came for the sick and not the healthy. Jesus isn't here if you think you're perfect and you've got yourself together. I mean, that's a whole other sermon. But Jesus is here for you who know you need help. And if that's you this morning, that invitation to follow him, follow his ways, follow his teachings... That's the invitation for you. Now, if we had time, I could go into lots of these. I've had a proper nerd out this this week. I've loved it. But if we had time, we could go and peel back a second layer. So you will see um, 
It's missed if you've got the NIV translation, but if you've got an ESV, you will notice a footnote in your Bible by the names Asser and Amon. Um, now, both of these guys were bad dudes. They were not good dudes in the Old Testament. Um, but if you read it in Greek, you'll see it in the footnote. The Greek is changed to Asaph, who was a worship leader. He wrote a significant chunk of the, um, the book of Psalms. And Amos, who was a prophet. Both of those were good guys. Now, this isn't an accident. Matthew is far smarter than you are or I am. I think this is Matthew giving a nod. And the Jewish readers who would have been steeped in their Old Testament, they would know every single character in this genealogy. They would have realised the switch and seen that Jesus is redeeming. That means saving. He's saving the bad and bringing it for good. He is the one which the Psalms written by Asaph and the prophets represented by Amos is all about. We could peel back a third layer and look at the 14 generations at the bottom, which was a symbolic number for King David. All the Jews would know that and click. We could peel back a fourth layer and look at something called the year of Jubilee. If you don't know what that is, in the Old Testament, every seven years, financial debts were forgiven. Um, And in the book of Daniel, which is one of the uh, books in the Old Testament, there is a, a, a prophecy about the number of generations which all of those Jews would have known until the ultimate year of Jubilee, the ultimate forgiveness. They would read this and say, Wow, that's Jesus. He is the one who is going to come and save. He is the one who is going to recreate the whole world. Um, Jews in the first century would have read this list and been mind blown. But to us, we just read this as a bit of a boring list of names and we don't click with it. We're just like, this is just some strange names that we can't even pronounce, skip on, next page. We all do it. Jess, thank you for being honest. Um, What I'm trying to illustrate is the original listeners, this would have been mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. But it gets a bit lost on us. So then when we start to read certain things in Matthew, we don't put it into practice because it doesn't blow our mind in the same way. And I think that's the danger. And that's the second problem that we might encounter. That as we go through this book, there might be stuff in here that is familiar to you. There might be stuff in here that you think you already know. And what I want to do is just jump ahead one more time to Matthew 7. Um, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has his foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, everyone who comes and listens to a sermon or turns up to a community group and doesn't put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, Jesus tells us the challenge that we have got is not just knowing these stories. Okay, knowing and understanding is really helpful to spur us on, to push us to doing. But if we don't practice it, we're not going to find the life Jesus has promised. Matthew extends to us all an invitation to be part of God's bigger story. But the hard thing for us to accept, and I think this is where we're going to start landing the plane today, the hard thing for us to accept is we are not the main character in that story. And that is hard for us in a world where it's all about me and it's all about the way I want to live and the way I want to do things. 
We have a part to play. We are a character in the story, but we don't get to write it. It is not about us. And so as we start our new series in Matthew, um, as we try and dive in um, to figuring out what Jesus really wants to teach us, the key message is that Jesus' calling isn't just to know stuff about him. Our series in Matthew will make no difference to your life if you don't try and put it into practice. Unfortunately, being a Christian, it doesn't work to just come to church, listen to some sermons and just hope God will bless me. That God will make everything okay and I'll feel good all the time and my life will go well. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is listening to these teachings but then learning to live them out. And mostly that involves making it not about us. It involves going against our selfish nature, going against stuff that this world might say is good. Basically, it is giving up being the main character in our own story. That's what following Jesus is. Giving up being the main character in our own story and learning to become a minor character, an important character, but not the most important character in God's story. And in that, I'm very aware there will be a lot of people this morning who are feeling like maybe they're not good enough for that. Maybe they're not in the place for that. I want to encourage you that Jesus can use anyone and anything in his story. Anyone. We look at Tamar, we look at Bathsheba, we look at Rahab the prostitute. Jesus can use anyone. Um, And we also see all the way throughout the Old Testament, Jesus can use anything. Whether that is war, whether that is adultery or murder or poverty, we know those are bad things. But we also all know there is plenty of stuff in our own lives that are not good things. If we let him, we can see God bring those things for good. If you were in our prayer meeting this morning, there was about 20-odd of us, Steve used these verses. I'm very, we coordinated clearly, Steve, uh, this morning. I've used, um, oh, just flick on for us, Sam. There we go. So I've used a slightly different translation um, than Steve did this morning. I've used a paraphrase um, called the message translation. Uh, And this is a paraphrase of Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion or church? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Um, And I love those verses so much. They're some of my favourite verses in all of Scripture. Many of you know my story. I've spoken about it several times from the front. A couple of years ago, that was very much me. I was burnt out. I was tired. I was anxious all the time. I felt horrendous. I was not loving life. But I was coming to church. I was doing all the right things. And a couple of years ago, there was a bit of a shift in my faith that I was like, actually, and Matthew's gospel, one of the reasons we're doing Matthew is because Matthew's gospels had such a profound impact on me. I was like, actually, I want to try and live that out. And oh my word, I am so far away from perfect and I am so far away from getting it nailed. But as we've gone through all those teachings in Matthew about whether that is prayer or fasting or Sabbath or whatever it might be, I have found more and more I'm less anxious. I am more at peace. I am more content. I've got a long, long, long way to go, but I've seen the impact of living out Jesus' teachings on my life. And we've kind of got a choice. We can carry on as we are, or we can treat this series as an opportunity to learn from Jesus. Not to assume we know it all, 
probably the most dangerous place to be, but to come back to Jesus, learn what he says, and his words, learn to live lightly and free. That involves a lot. It involves walking with him, spending time with Jesus. It might involve working with him. It's not always going to be easy, and often it involves a lot of sacrifice. But that is the way to learn to live lightly. Our call is to pick up our cross. Our call is to not make the story about us, not try and be the main character, but learn to be a character in God's story. Our our, our call is to say, Jesus, I want to learn to follow your way. I want to listen to your teachings and I want to do it your way and not my way. You might be saying this morning, Lord, I'm really tired. I'm really weary. And whatever I've been trying so far, it isn't working. If you want to live lightly and freely, I can promise you the only way to do that is following Jesus. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode. From our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk We look forward to connecting with you. Good, I follow you. You're so.